electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, check out shares of Tesla. That stock volatile after reporting earnings moments ago. The conference call with CEO Elon Musk picks off in 30 minutes. We'll bring you all the latest details. Plus, Square getting slammed after its report. That stock is down by about 5%. We'll be monitoring what CEO Jack Dorsey has to say. And this just days after short seller Andrew Left says the stock has been soaring only because of what he's calling Bitcoin nonsense. He will join us to make his short case. But first, we start off with the market sell-off. Not even strong earnings from Apple or predictable Fed could bring the bulls out today with the Dow dropping nearly 200 points, selling off into the close, falling back into correction territory. So where are all the Wall Street bulls right now? What needs to happen for stocks to rally again? Guy. Well, kudos to Dan Nathan. We give Dan a hard time. All wow. No, but last Adam week, Gaines. Dan said there's a very good chance, there's a very good chance that Apple knocks the cover off the ball, has a big rally in Apple, and that doesn't do anything to the broader market, and the broader market sells off. That's exactly what happened today. Well done by Dan. And, you know, we've seen ridiculously strong earnings out of a lot of these benchmark companies, huge uh, market cap companies, and they haven't really done anything for the broader market. What I think needs to happen for the bulls to take charge again, couple different things. Maybe we take another run at that 2580 level and hold in the S&P and bounce. That's number one. Zach Carabell, Pete just pointed it out, just put out a piece on Twitter. What happens if peace breaks out? So maybe some of the geopolitical unrest that's out there somehow goes away. I think that could be a possible thing. And I, but I do think the overhang right now has been complacency, is measured with a 15 and change VIX. And the other is the Fed's absolutely in play. But wouldn't complacency be complacency, symptomatic of a, higher, of a higher market, not a lower? Yeah, no. Well, it's, I think the, it's complacent. The market's sort of in, inched lower. Day by day, you don't have a big sell-off. Pete was saying we're only down 7 tenths of 1%. You're right. You haven't had a flush to get that complacency level back maybe in VIX above 21 or 22. To me, that is concerning. Yeah, I would just say that you need some real fear. You know, I mean, we, we talk about how much we're off the highs, yet the S&P 500 is down less than 1.5% on the year, right? And this is a year after it rallied 20% without a 3% peak-to-trough decline in 2017 or for more than 400 days. So to me, I think that, you know, we've had a lot of volatility this year. I don't really care where the VIX is. Um, what I care about is the narrowing leadership. So we talk about, you know, Apple's rally today, Facebook's rally last week, Amazon's rally last week, and it feels like the S&P 500 is taking one step forward, two steps back a little bit. So that's kind of been a theme of mine right here. So until you test that 2580, maybe break it, get some other things that risk asset land kind of going a little crazy here, um, then I don't really think you can rally because right now the S&P is in a pretty well-defined downtrend. Downtrend, but it's also in a range. And, and if you look at the volatility index, 15 to 18 has been the range for the last two and a half weeks or so. So, you know, it feels like one of these markets where there's just enough caution out there, depending on even with the great earnings. There seems like there's caution. And is the caution the geopolitical that Zach Carabell is talking about, or is it even more? Is it something to do? Maybe we'll find out more as we start hearing more about what's going to happen with China and, and some of the negotiations. And I think that would be something. Also, let's not forget, 
we talk about this all the time, and I know it's back underneath or it's right around that 3%, but a 3% is something that seems to be something that everybody looks at when they're looking at the 10-year and they say, hey, you know what, a 3%, that says sell. And right. it seems as if that is something that's been pressuring the market as well. We have uncertainty around China yes. and tariffs and sanctions and all of that. We have uncertainty uh, when it comes to the Iran deal, right? We've got yes. a dollar that is moving higher. Think about all the company earnings reports in which the, the companies, CEOs, and management, the conference call cited a weak dollar as a benefit. Mm -hmm. That reverses all of a sudden with the dollar sitting at 2018 highs. I mean, there are a lot of things here to be yeah. cautious about. But is that right. your opportunity to buy? I, I feel like it is, but it presents me more opportunity every day that goes by. <laughs> so, you know, where are the bulls? I'm bullish. I'm long. I'm always long. So, you know, I do think there's opportunities here. I've been surprised and wrong about how badly the market's trading on good earnings. You know, we do have a couple of good earnings that have, that have held in. Um, but, you know, you just see companies come out with really what should be decent numbers, what should be enough. Uh, I go back to the cat call as being so interesting to me that the market was just looking to freak out over what I thought was a pretty bullish call, and I felt like they were misinterpreted. I'm actually interested. They're going to be presenting, uh, I think it's May 8th. I'm curious to see whether they clarify those statements I at all. I would think that they would want to clarify those statements so, if but, there is to be clarification. To be yeah, there. so... Um, <laughs> That's disappointing to me. I still like the banks. I like the valuation. I still like some of the things. I, you know, long Facebook, long Alphabet. Uh, I'm actually long a little bit of cat now. It's, it's frustrating, though. The only thing that's working a little bit is energy. Yeah, I yeah. think it's important to remember, though, that we've seen a patch of weak data. We've seen it here. We've seen it in Abroad. Europe, that sort of thing. And so, so to me, I think that, you know, we're going into a summer period, um, obviously seasonally. You know, we see some slowdowns in certain industries here. Um, you know, I'll just mention that I, there are scenarios this summer where all of a sudden you could see the S&P 500 above 3,000 in the fall if, if we had peace, like you just mentioned in North Korea. We had um, some sort of trade agreement with China, something on NAFTA. Maybe we were more engaging on things like the Paris, you know, right. and then and then maybe all this stuff in Washington cools down and the Mueller thing goes away. You'd have an S&P 500 that would be on its way to 3,000. I mean, but that's a lot of stuff that has to happen. And then it goes back to, are we as good as it gets on the earnings front? You mentioned a 3% 10-year um, treasury. Right. We have a 2% or less S&P dividend yield, you know what I mean? We have maybe as good as it gets margins and earnings, that sort of thing. So, you know, to me, maybe we're just fair value-ish, you know? We're 16 times forward, 20 times right trailing. Multiple. Maybe we're going to bang around. Maybe you're going to have your opportunity to buy things when they get hit on bad headlines, and you have your opportunities to trade them as they go back up towards the highest. But you're, what you're looking yeah. for, really, sorry to interrupt, but what I'm looking for, really, is looking for something that has great headlines and then goes the wrong way. And, and we're not seeing a lot of that. We've seen some of that. And I think the industrials is a good example of that, where the numbers are great, but they give you great numbers. And by the way, I've seen more and more bearish paper over the last couple of days in the XLI, the industrials index. So that, that makes you a little bit concerned. But they have been running, 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 running. I mean, Boeing, we talk about almost every single night. And look what it did last year. So you just wonder, at some point, do people look and say, valuation-wise, Gosh, I'm a little bit concerned over some of these names, and I'd love to see a pullback, but I think those are names you want to watch, but what level you're going to buy them, you've got to look at where exactly the PEs are. So all this said, Fed's still in play. Here's a question. We get a jobs report on Friday. Is good news bad news for if the market? It, you, Is if, bad news good news for the market? So forget about the, jo the absolute jobs number or the unemployment rate. I'll say that the wage, wage number growth. to me is what's important. If you see wage growth, I think significant wage growth would be bad news for the market. So under the set of circumstances you just laid forward, yes, bad, good news is bad news. Thoughts, Dan? Uh, I was watching you today when the Fed stuff came out. You asked Steve Leisman, 
was it hawkish or was it, you know what I mean? The, right, the, right. That, that was the bottom one. That's all and, I wanted and, to know. And, and I thought it was a great point. And, and Steve was thoughtful for a second here. And he said it was a moderate change. But, you know, they're really trying to walk a line. And I think that you could be able to do that with a lot of this data. I think if jobs started a weekend and then we had all this, these PMIs and so the ISMs and those starting to weaken, then you're going to have a dove's fat. You're just going to have a dove's so fat. So you're thinking and then, that everything's bad news. Well, a hot job under that scenario, so I think if we start to bad. turn, if the data starts to turn nine years into the cycle, like it, it is right now when there's still a lot of optimists, then it's bad for the market if we have bad data. Our next guest says the risks to the markets are on the rise. Let's go off the charts with Chris Verona, Strategus Research Partners, to find out why. Hi, Chris. Hey, Melissa, how are you? I think what's interesting uh, about this year so far is in an environment where the S&P is actually down year to date, there's really been no safety trade. What we're showing you here, uh, S&P year to date down about one and a half. These are utilities down three. Bonds down about 5%. Consumer staples all the way down here down about 11 so for a year where the market has struggled, there really haven't been a lot of places uh, to seek refuge. Now, conversely, if we reverse this chart and say year to date, here's the S&P down about 1%. Right here, these are small caps outperforming. These are regional banks outperforming. This is oil up sharply. So I think what's been unique about 2018 is under the surface, leadership has actually been risk seeking. And if we zero in on small versus large in particular, I think it's notable today. Russell 2000, big outperformer, held its 50, held its 200. This is small caps relative large caps, making about five-month relative price highs. So under the surface, the small versus large backdrop is actually pretty supportive. So what's worrying investors? Our sense is that the weakness in the industrials has been a major source of concern for many. But what we want to point out is actually flows into the XLI, the industrials ETF, are about as washed out right now at any point we've seen uh, in four or five years. That's a contrarian signal that we think industrials can find some support and actually start to resume higher here. Hmm. I think Chris comes over. What do you yeah, think? Comes yeah. over. I mean, a day like today, we need Chris's help. Chris, come on over. Ryan will bring the chair in. Ryan's back after a few days off. Thank you, Ryan. I don't know. He was off. He was yeah, referring to Chris, good to see you. Um, good seeing you. We were talking about individual industrials because the industrial sector as a whole is comprised of many interesting, very different sort of stocks. Sure. So are there certain stocks that look better in or worse? Yeah, there are. And I chart? think we need to enter the conversation with the premise that this is an important sector, right? Industrials have the highest R squared with the S&P 500. So when industrial stocks... Correlation. Are, exactly. Yeah. So when industrial stocks are going up, uh, you can't be bearish on the market. Conversely, when industrial stocks aren't working, things often get more challenging. What we're interested here is this flush and flows looks pretty climactic for this group. I wouldn't be surprised if some of these names that are washed out, whether it's the CAD or the Deers or the Cummins, can actually start to bounce. What's been most notable in the sector, the railroads have actually held up okay here, Norfolk Southern, UMP, CSX. So I think transportation is actually probably a little bit better than people give it credit for right here. So you talked about the Russell strength. Yeah. Uh, is that you want to be in the United States, which Russell tends to be more U.S.-centric. Sure. Is that where you want to be right now? I think that's certainly the message of the dollar here. And I would just say from a sentiment perspective, 
I haven't walked into a room in three months where there have been dollar bulls. I mean, dollar bearishness is pervasive. And I think the response from the dollar here recently is being reflected in that small cap versus large cap trade. What I would also note, dollar strength, if there's a consensus trade that may be at risk here, I wonder if EM deteriorates in relative terms given some dollar strength. I think that's the area where, where, where we probably have to be more careful, look closer to home to find opportunities. So, so talking about the Russell real quickly, yeah. I actually had a short on for about a week. I took it off today. Um, it, that relative strength is really a problem in my mind. Is that the first U.S. Uh, equity index that you would expect to get back towards the highs? Obviously, it's the closest one to its highs, um, but is that the one the, the one that you want to play for beta? Yeah, I think certainly it's right there. If I were to add one more index to that list, uh, the value line index, which is an equally weighted composite of about 1,700 issues, it's a very good barometer for what the average stock is doing. That's actually held up better than the market uh, as well. So I think anything that captures the average issue instead of the big issue acts better here. Chris, thank you. Thank you. Chris Verone of Strategus. All right, coming up, we are all over the after hours action. Tesla is volatile as investors gear up for that conference call. Um, it happens in about 17 minutes from now. CEO Elon Musk is already on Twitter taunting the haters. <laughs> we'll tell you what he said. Meantime, Spotify and Square are getting slammed. We'll bring you the latest details. Plus, the Square sinks short seller Andrew Left is taking aim at the high-flying tech stock. He will explain why he is calling the payment processor's recent rally Bitcoin nonsense. And later, the Disney dilemma, the stock's in near 52-week lows despite blowing away the box office with its latest hit, Infinity Wars. So could it be ESPN holding back the Magic Kingdom? We've got all the details. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're calling it the Disney Dilemma. The box office is booming with the new movies uh, from Avengers bringing in $800 million globally. Meanwhile, ESPN continues to weigh on the company. Reports out today that ESPN lost 500,000 subscribers in the month of April alone. All of this is happening while the stock is under pressure, down more than 13% from its highs. Check out the chart. Uh, shares sitting near their 52-week low of $96 hit back in September. So is ESPN Iger's biggest issue? And if so, so what should he do about it to fix the stock? You know, it is the biggest issue. And, and I think that, you know, when we talked about it forever, this was the crown jewel. We used to always say ESPN's the crown jewel, including myself. And over time, it seems like the crown jewel's gotten a little bit dull. It's gotten Isn't smacked. is the biggest issue for the right reason? I mean, is that what you would say? If ESPN fails, the rest of Disney does not work? No, I, I wouldn't agree with that part of it. And I, and I think if I'm Iger, being the expert that he is and one of the best CEOs out there, he's got to somehow turn this ship by changing some of the focus because they are killing it at the box office. They are killing it at the parks. There are areas where they're doing an outstanding job, but ESPN's not one of them. And I think there's plenty of changes. And I've been as critical as anybody about what ESPN's been doing yeah. as a group. And I'll tell you what, they still have a lot of changes they need to make for people to want to come back and stop losing 500,000 people in a single month. I mean, that's a lot of subscribers. That's huge. That's, that's a huge. lot of subscribers. Aside from that, though, they have a very big strategic issue that is very much in flux, right? We don't know what's going to happen. We're not going to know for a while. I think that we're not going to know at least till June 12th when we hear what the Time Warner AT&T decision is yeah. to get some sense of what Comcast thinks they can or can't do and whether Fox uh, and Disney can move forward. So uh, that's going to weigh on them for a while. In the meantime, in my opinion, Netflix continues to eat their lunch. Whether they view Netflix as a, as a competitor or not, they should. And you're talking about Disney. Disney's a stock that made an all-time high in the, in the winter of 2000. 
and 15. That's quite some time ago if you wow. go back and look. I mean, it's been a long time sideways to lower since. Again, what's the right multiple in a space that's decelerating for a company with 10% earnings right. growth? Thanks did you the, catch, did thanks you catch his props? Thanks for the props earlier, but, okay? <laughs> like, here's the thing. Give I think it's kind of apples to oranges when you think about it, if you're comparing Netflix to Disney. You know, I, I mean, like, I listen. Know. Disney's going to be pulling off all that content off of Netflix. Netflix is in the business also of making original content. That's the only reason why people are going to stay there. When I think about Disney, and I think you are honed in on the right thing here, it's what do they do? How do they stem the losses um, in ESPN? But listen, we know the trends in OTT. We know what they're trying to do with ESPN+, Plus, which they just introduced last month. Kind of interesting, right? We know what they're doing with BAMTEP. We know what they're going to be doing with their original content. So to me, this is one of those situations that 14 times this year, 13 times next, Okay, you got to wait this one out a little bit. I think you have room maybe to the mid to low 90s in the near term as they take a little pain. But this is a cheap stock. Bob Iger's sticking around to get it right. So I don't think there's any, you know, reason to kind of get nervous that Netflix is kind of chuckling. If there was a mistake in my mind, it was that they took so long to make this decision and move into the, the area. Yeah, but how do you make a decision that's ultimately going to be the spark that lights the fire of this, you know, secular shift? I think they've probably been doing it in a manner that everyone feels okay about it. In hindsight, it looks a little slow. But I don't think you but want to compare go back it to a little, Netflix. We personally. can go back a few years. How many times do we sit on this desk and say, hey, Disney, they have all this capital. Why don't they put some of it to work? And everybody buy said, something. buy something. Well, they, they, they spent something. $16 billion on Pixar, on Lucas, on Marvel, and they've already done they that in sales on, on all those movies. But they need I to mean, stay in front of it. Right. Well, you know, it's going to be make or break for Disney. It reports earnings yeah. next week. Okay. Uh, so, Dan, what do you see in the options market? Well, interestingly, there's a pretty <laughs> decent implied move, about 3.5% in either direction on average over the last four quarters. The stock has only moved um, about 2.5%. This is kind of interesting. I mean, we talk about implied move all the time, I say 3.5% in either direction. If you're going to pick a direction, if you're long stock, you want to lever up, you want to buy calls, or you want to buy puts to protect, or you just want to make a directional bet, you only need to earn out 1.7% or 1.75% if you are buying the at-the-money put or call. So think about it that way. Look at that chart to me. Pete just said it, I think, or, or guided. That's really no man's land. Mm. If you look at it over the last three years, it's in a declining channel here, but it's kind of like almost right at the midpoint. And I don't think that one quarter that we're going to get next week is going to be the thing that breaks yeah, it out. Yeah, I don't think this uh, quarter yeah. is right. the Disney story. Right. 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 So I, I think options, are, for the most part, are probably kind of expensive. I don't think you're going to get a big gap down or up. May I just retort quickly to Dan's point about Netflix and Disney? Sure. The Disney content on Netflix in the United States and North America is a pimple on the rear end of an elephant. I don't think Reed Hastings is all that concerned. Okay, but do you think, Disney guy, that in 2019, years. people, when, when Disney content's not, are not there, they're going to be like, oh, I'm not going to, you know. Like, people who subscribe to Netflix are going to continue to do that. At some point, the pendulum's going to shift. It's going to be everybody needs their Disney because the ESPN, because the Marvel, because the Star Wars. And then they're going to start to say, how good is that House of Cards crap or whatever else they got going crap. on there? So that, that's what I'm saying. It's not a hit factory. So you're factory. assuming a turn in ESPN What I'm saying then. is Netflix is not proven to be the hit factory that HBO is. And that's one of the reasons why I think HBO is such a prized property in this other deal. And we're just we're just All surrounding right. the trade. Surrounding, <laughs> yeah. Right. Surrounding the trade. I mean, options action Friday. I, I liked House of Cards. Um, for more options action, you can check out the full show, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time on Friday. Coming up, Tesla, volatile after hours after C and Elon Musk has already taken to Twitter to gloat about the results. The stock, though, is now down by about 1%. We'll hear what he had to say on Twitter right after the break. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Square, Betty. Kids a square. 
And that's what one outspoken short seller is calling investors in Square. He'll explain what he thinks Wall Street is getting wrong about the high-flying tech stock when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla is volatile after its earnings report. The company conference call is just moments away from starting, six minutes away to be exact. Let's get to Phil LeBeau with what we can expect, what we're listening for. Phil. And Melissa, we're already seeing some movement in Tesla's shares, fractionally higher, fractionally lower. And Elon Musk, he's out taunting, saying, hey, what do you think of these earnings results? Already sending out a couple of tweets. I'm sure we'll hear more during the conference call. Two things really to focus on from this earnings report. Let's focus, focus first on the Model 3 and the questions surrounding production there. The company said it billed 2270 per week for the three weeks that the Fremont factory was operating in April, and it believes it's still on track to build 5000 per week in about two months. So maybe not by the end of June, but shortly after that. And it says it has more than 450,000 Model 3 reservations. And then there's the question of cash burn, because a lot of people were saying, boy, they could burn through 1.5, $1.8 billion in cash. Uh-uh, that's not what happened in the first quarter. Cash burned $745 million, so lower than many people were expecting. Liquidity at the end of the quarter, $2.7 billion. The company did not mention anything about needing to raise capital. And don't forget, the earnings call starts in about 10 minutes. We'll hear from Elon Musk, and we'll have some of his comments a little bit later on. Melissa? So, Phil, they, they burned less cash, and they're going to spend, in terms of CapEx, less than they originally told yep. investors in 2018. Does that make sense to you for a company that's ramping up production on Model 3 and, and ramping up a gigafactory? Well, well, remember, in terms of that ramp up for production, that's why you need to get those Model 3s out there, because then you get the cash flow coming right. in. So in that regard, it does make sense. Um, and a lot of this depends in terms of how quickly they can get the robotics Remember, they blamed a lot of automation for the slow ramp up. Now the question is, are they going to start to benefit from the robotics, especially those Groman systems coming into the Fremont factory right. as well as to the Gigafactory? Right, those Groman systems specifically for the battery. Um, Phil, thank yeah. you. We'll let you jump on that call. It starts in about you four bet. minutes. Phil LeBeau on Tesla. How do we trade the stock? Um, the stock is now down by just about uh, nine-tenths of a percent. Which I don't understand. I would think it'd be up. So they're gonna, they think they're going to achieve their goal of 100,000 deliveries by year end. And you just said it with Phil. They're going to be cash flow positive by the third quarter of this year, if not the fourth quarter of this year. I mean, both of those things, to me, are surprisingly good. Quarter was probably in line, revenue in line. I don't think, I don't know what people are looking for there. Maybe the fact that they're shut down for 10 days, maybe that's a concern. But how do you trade it to your original question? You stay long against $280, I think. Yeah. What do you think, Dan? Um, listen, I think the problem with all of what you just said is that no one has a high level of confidence that they're going to achieve those goals. And that's just been the story right now. And that's one of the reasons why the stock is trading, you know, 20% from its highs made late last year. Listen, a lot of people are rooting for Elon Musk. A lot of people are now are actually rooting against him. I'm on the side where I, I, I would love this to be true. The worry that I have is that as they ramp production of the Model S, or excuse me, the three, they're ramping down the S and the X. And I almost wonder if they're cannibalizing the higher end sales because the Model 3 isn't particularly a mass market car at the price point it is right now. So to me, this is going to continue to be a hairy year. And I don't think you're going to see an explosion back towards those prior highs anytime soon. What is interesting about the tone this year is that analysts on the street, while they may be over, you know, in large part bullish on the stock with a lot of buy ratings out there, even the people with buy ratings believe still that Tesla will do a capital raise, regardless of what Elon Musk has said. He said that it, they will not require a capital raise, mm -hmm. uh, equity or debt, 
But require doesn't mean won't. Doesn't mean. And a lot of the street still believes that they will. I think they should. Why wouldn't they, right? I don't <laughs> right. understand why wouldn't they. I mean, they have a few converts. Um, so if the stock goes up, those converts will end up being stock. And they could, they'll have extra cash that if they've issued debt, buy back some of that debt. I don't know. why. I don't understand why not the markets are open for it. To, to try to come back to the markets later if you need it on the chance that maybe you were wrong on production? I don't know. Seems like a risk. I mean, seems like you should be doing it. Yeah. At least somewhat. Right. Maybe you don't need to do the whole thing. Right. And not that long ago, we had the Moody's downgrade. And, and we, right. we all said, hey, look, they need to do another capital you know, raise. I think at some point they will. Why not go to it now? I, I mean, if, they, if they're going to need it at some point, I think now, is, now would be the time to tap in. He continues to overpromise and underdeliver. That's exactly at what time. At what point does that magic wear off? That's a. It's a great question because I would. Are have we seeing multiple. it wear off now with Wall Street saying, you know what, they are going to do a capital raise? I don't care what he said about a capital but, raise; but, they're going to do a capital should, raise. If he's saying that they have a backlog for four hundred thousand yeah. Model Threes, then they should do a capital raise. They should build a new factory. They should ramp production. You know, I mean, that's the thing. He does have to prove. These uh, naysayers wrong. There is 32% short interest in the stock. It's a $50 billion market cap stock. I mean, this is not like a little stock. You know what I mean? Wall so, Street uh, is yeah. the haters, and it was. it's all the people who own the vehicles and the people who love the idea who are the lovers and are not selling the stock. And well, that's some of that short, though, is convert hedging. So it's not all right. short, but... Yeah, no, we're all There's still agreement. plenty of shorts out there, yes. yeah. all, we, as we and, all know. I think to Pete's <laughs> point, though, the major holders of the Fidelities and the Well and whoever, you know, all the big, they're not getting out. I don't think they're getting out of this. They believe in the story. So my question has been, who's the incremental seller? I would push back and say the move a month or so ago down to 254 was on the back of concerns of a capital raise. And the fact that it hasn't happened is maybe why the stock has levitated back to 300. By the way, we mentioned that Elon Musk was tweeting about the quarter. This is what he did. He retweeted a TechCrunch article with the headline, Tesla Beats Expectations, and he added the comment, la, la, la. That was 23 minutes ago, just ahead of the conference call. There you go. There you see it. Um, conference call is kicking off right now. We'll continue to monitor uh, those headlines as they come out. I mean, it's not just Tesla with earnings. Square and Spotify reporting moments ago in those stocks are getting crushed. We'll bring you all the latest headlines as they break. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Spotify getting crushed after its first earnings report as a public company. Let's get to Julia Borson in Los Angeles with the details. Julia. Well, Melissa, no comment in the call about the stock decline. Daniel Ek was really focused on discussing the long-term vision for Spotify and creating a music marketplace. He said that giving users of Spotify's free service more options is working, providing more ad opportunities as well as the potential to convert those users to paid subscribers. Ek dismissed a question about whether Apple Music is eating into Spotify's business. Take a listen. We don't see any kind of meaningful uh, impact of competition. In fact, uh, when we look at this, we don't really think that this is a winner-takes-all market. Uh, in fact, I, we, we think multiple services will exist in the markets, and we're all kind of in a growing market. Eck, as well as the company CFO, saying they see opportunities beyond music, including podcasts and the potential to help labels with marketing. They also see opportunities in the growth of smart speakers. Voice is growing. Uh, there are more and more connected speakers in people's home. Um, Spotify is an application that's both available on Alexa speakers and Google Home, and we're doing fairly well there. So we actually do see our share of voice 
growing, and we view that long-term as an opportunity, not a threat. There's been a lot of talk on the call, which just wrapped up moments ago, about growing Spotify into new markets as well as getting into cars. They also talked about the benefit of bundling, such as bundling Spotify in with Hulu. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Dan, what do you make of the quarter? All right, it's not getting crushed. The stock closed up almost 30% from its reference price a month ago when it was listed public, okay? So it closed at the dead highs today. So it's down 5 or $6 or $7. That's what it was up today. Um, and I think you really want to differentiate between whiffing on their first publicly traded quarter versus, remember, Facebook was down 11% after their first one. Twitter was down 24%. Snap was down 21%. This is a company that chose an alternative, uh, alternative path to being public. You should expect that their communication and the way they manage um, this process going forward is going to be a little different. But let me just push back yeah. on that a little bit. Because of the process that they used to go, to go public, they probably came out at a lower price than where they could have if they had done a more traditional roadshow and gotten all hyped Maybe, up. but the stock and has so, acted very well. Let's see how it acts tomorrow. I, I, I'd be shocked to see it down more than 10% or something like that. I mean, just based on the numbers that they gave and the transparency that we have and the, the, the analyst meetings, it wasn't an IPO roadshow, that they did march. I mean, what's changed? Nothing's changed. And the difference between something like this and Snap is the acceleration of growth, right, versus when, when you see something like Snap, which was decelerating. I mean, this... This is a company that's showing incredible growth, but to your point, it's made such an un unbelievable move to the upside that this pullback today, it might not even show up tomorrow as, a as big a pullback is as we're seeing. Is this a buying today. opportunity? Is this a buying opportunity? I don't know. I just I think the narrative is a shallow one. I'm looking all over Twitter and I'm seeing all the headlines and all the blogs and everything. It's like spot getting crushed. Yeah. Okay. I mean, well, spot down seven and a half percent is okay, and it's up thirty percent in the last month. You know, it's got a thirty billion dollar market cap, and people have only seen one set of numbers over the last month or so. I'm not pounding the table here. I'm just mm -hmm. saying I don't like those false narratives. Okay. Premium subscribers up. Growth was 45% year over year, right? Monthly average users up 30% year over year. If you want to nitpick, maybe second quarter guidance wasn't as strong as you would like it to be. But I'm sort of in the Dan and Pete camp. I mean, there are a lot of analysts with price targets at 200 and north thereof. Uh, to be honest with you, I wouldn't be surprised if this stock actually closed higher tomorrow. All right. Coming up, more earnings. Tesla is volatile. While Square sinks in the after-hour session, the company conference calls are underway. We will hear from CEOs Elon Musk and Jack Dorsey. Plus, it was the worst-performing tech stock today, down 9%, and Karen Feinerman bought it. Find out the name, what has the chairwoman so bullish, right after the break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Square sinking after hours as a company's conference call is underway. Deirdre Bose has been listening in on the call. She'll tell us what CEO Jack Dorsey had to say. Deirdre. That's right. Now, before he talked about Bitcoin, how he's learning from it at the start of the call, Square actually laid out Bitcoin's contribution to the business. Revenue from Bitcoin contributed $34.1 million to total net revenue in the first quarter. Bitcoin costs $33.9 million. So that is a very minor $200,000 uh, add to adjusted revenue. But Dorsey, as I mentioned, on the call saying that Square is still in a learning phase when it comes to the cryptocurrency. Have a listen. Still in a learning phase of, of where we can apply it in the right way because we don't just want to purely apply the technology where it doesn't fit, but make sure we're actually solving a real need and a real problem, whether that be internal or external. Um, but we do we do carry a lot of uh, we we do have a lot of um, excitement for what it can do, um, and we are um, building a, a significant expertise within the company to do that. 
Now, I also had the chance to talk to CFO Sarah Fryer about an hour ago, and I asked her to respond to that recent Citron, to that recent Citron research claim that Wall Street is, quote, drunk on Bitcoin nonsense. She said that monetizing Bitcoin is not the point. The point is to use it as a hook to further monetize and get people into the Square Cash app where it sits, which the company is monetizing and making it a bigger part of their business. She said that Bitcoin is just one piece of the ecosystem that we are building in the Cash app. We knew there was a customer need, and we wanted to provide that access. She also added that Square sellers would not call the business yawn-worthy or boring. They depend on it for their own businesses. Melissa. So the thinking there, Deirdre, is that they have the ability to accept uh, Bitcoin as a, as a payment option, and that's just going to bring people into the system to use potentially other. I mean, are they seeing that sort of traction, that sort of cross-selling uh, nature already or no? Well, they see that it's getting people into the ecosystem. It's one thing they would say that they can offer on top of all the other functionalities that the Square Cash app can do. Um, I have asked them in the past whether they would let people transact through with Bitcoin, and they said that there's not a demand for it now where there's, right. there is a demand for buying and selling it within the app. But yes, it's just a hook to get people in, and they are monetizing the Cash app. Okay. Deirdre, thank you. Deirdre Bosa on Square. Karen, you've been uh, pouring through the report. Yeah, I think what, what went wrong with Square in terms of the stock being down is that expectations were too high. I mean, I think a lot of these metrics look really good. The revenue, 51% acceleration and continuing to accelerate and grow. I think, you know, maybe the whisper number was a little higher. But, I mean, these numbers look pretty good. To try to take out how much Bitcoin hype is in the stock, I don't really know. But I guess some, right? So, but that's been, Bitcoin's been down for a while and the stock has actually continued to rally this year. I think these are pretty impressive numbers. I think there's a, uh, there's a, I don't think of them as yawn-worthy businesses at all, to use Andrew's quote, but, and we'll get to him later. Yeah, so when they announced this Bitcoin, I, I think exactly what Deirdre said, they're using this, there's demand for it, the cash app, think Venmo, okay, so it's right. a peer-to-peer -peer payment system, it's mobile, um, they have demand for it, they're going to compete with Coinbase. Coinbase did a billion dollars in revenue, so if you could get any piece of that, you know, they said they did $34 million, it was actually a slightly positive business, that's a good business to work on, and, and I know Andrew's going to come on here. Um, they company can't help if Wall Street, if investors are drunk on the Bitcoin stuff. Right. They're actually tamping down expectations for it. And this is the sort of thing you want in innovative management that, to push into new businesses. That was my read through as well as and, and Jack Dorsey actually going after that and saying, hey, this is a small part of our business and, and, and laying that out there. And I right. think you're right. I mean, some of it is people just jump in because of that. But I think this opens up something that's pretty interesting. This could be a huge growth area as well. Let's bring in Andrew Left. He is, of course, the notable short seller who took aim at Square. In a tweet on Monday, Citron said Square could fall to 30 bucks a share. That's down about 39% from current levels. This while calling the company a quote-unquote collection of yawn-worthy businesses. That was only surging because Wall Street was drunk on Bitcoin nonsense. Citron Research founder Andrew Left joins us now. Andrew, good to see you. We actually had Hi, a res everybody. direct response from the CFO to your comments about Bitcoin. They were very clear on the call, and they've been pretty clear all along, including Jack Dorsey, that this is a very small part of the business. So when you, when you talk about Wall Street being drunk on this Bitcoin, and, and Bitcoin has come down, as Karen has pointed out, how much of this is still in the stock, you think? It's a very small part of the business, but it's a very large part of the narrative. 
The truth is it's a credit card processing company that actually has uh, take rates that will probably contract over time, like, uh, like every processing company. So what do you go? You say, we're the SaaS company, uh, even though you have many companies within that that are not SaaS companies. You say, we're going to do things with Bitcoin. You do everything to keep the focus away from the core business. And even what I heard right there, Bitcoin is a hook. We're looking to do things with Bitcoin. This is a $19 billion company. So we're not talking about a little company that might figure out Bitcoin in the future. Let's look at their business, their core business, and where is this business going to be in two or three years, and whether so, or not you're worth 15 times revenues. Sure. But in terms of this Bitcoin part of the, of, of the, of the argument and, and part of the business, for that matter, the company is not putting forth that they are a Bitcoin company. The company doesn't seem to be, at least from the statements that they've said and from the conference How many times so far, have they mentioned... They have not, Right, but they have also outlined how much they are losing on Bitcoin and how little they are making on Bitcoin. So in terms of your narrative coming true and taking the Bitcoin premium out of the stock, are you waiting for the retail investors out there or the investors at large out there to suddenly realize this is a small part of the business, as Sarah Fryer, as Jack Dorsey have said? Well, first of all, they can't lie about the numbers. So, of course, they can't go on the conference call and say the business is bigger than it really is. It's the numbers that sobers everyone up really fast. Uh, the drunk part of it is when you just read the news, go Google, go, go look at it, go see what people are discussing. Look what we're discussing right here. Why are we even discussing Square and Bitcoin? Let's move on to their business. Say, hey, Andrew, where does this business look like in two, three years? What are the take rates? How is it going to be? How is it going versus Clover? Let's look at their business. Why are we even discussing Square and Bitcoin? Well, you brought it up, I guess. So that would be the reason that we're discussing <laughs> no, my, it. My point is I'd rather discuss me... the company. What? Say that again. I'm sorry, I missed what you said. I would rather discuss the company and the trajectory of their business. What I said is the reason why the stock got to where it is, is it got caught up in a SaaS multiple updraft along with the Bitcoin mania. Tuck the stock to where it is at 15 times uh, revs where it shouldn't be. Okay, I am absolutely open to the idea that there's a lot of Bitcoin fluff left in the stock. But when you're saying, oh, the company keeps talking about it, the company could have said... We don't break out our Bitcoin. They could have said that. Instead, they highlighted how actually small Bitcoin was to their business, right? They didn't why need to are do we that. Discussing you brought it up. That's why. It's so insignificant. That is why we're discussing we are it. insulting just, investors. It's a $19 billion company, and we're discussing 200000 in net revenues. Next, let's move on to their yes, business. Yes, let's move on to their business, subscription and services. Not the dream, not what going. could happen. Let's move on to the business. I'm trying to move on to the business. So subscription and services growing very nicely. That is a very interesting part of the business. I think maybe one of the things waiting on it today is their, uh, their EBITDA projection. They're, they're going to put a lot of spend back in the business. Operating expenses are going to be high. Now, you could maybe argue, all right, it's not growing as fast. I don't really buy that. Revenue is growing. I mean, if well, you look you, at... Do you want me to maybe argue or do you want me to give you... The other side is this. At 2.5% take rate, what they're doing on these transactions, they'll be able to keep the smaller merchants. They're going to have to take that down on the larger merchants. There's a lot of competition. I remember when Square came out. It was very innovative. I remember seeing it for the first time going, wow, how cool is this? It's not like that anymore. Now it's mainstream. Look what's happening in China with Alipay. They're paying, you know, a half a percent uh, uh, the rates involved there. So you're looking at a business who's the real business, not the dream business, not the small what might happen. The real business is on a long-term trajectory of contracting margins. That's it. 
And as for a SaaS multiple, you can give it to a certain part of the business, but not their caviar business, which competes with Grubhub. That does not Forget deserve caviar. a SaaS multiple would whatsoever. You, would you agree, though, that even if those margins are compressing, the top line is, much, is growing very quickly? Uh, it could grow, but it faces a lot of competition and eventually hits a wall. It's more in the seventh inning of new customers than third inning. Andrew, real quick, does small business optimism play any role whatsoever in a bullish thesis? If, if small business is going to come back in a major way under the first 15 months of a Trump administration, does that help the bull case for Square? Does that even play into it? No, I mean, you, you could, I would rather, I'd much rather own PayPal. I mean, for, for uh, I'm buying a, a cheaper company with just as much penetration. Why not own PayPal? All right. I want to switch gears. Let's not talk about Square or Bitcoin, for that matter, anymore. <laughs> Let's talk about Alibaba, Andrew. You're um, favorable, right? You like it. Yeah, love Alibaba. What's the, no, what's really the core of this? Because, you know, it's interesting. There are a lot of short sellers who will be against you, the short seller. because oh, they, many. Yeah, mm -hmm. many. I mean, it's, it's an interesting sort of lightning rod stock. So what do you see? I mean, it's, it's the anti-square. Uh, it's a company that has built such a big moat on the biggest ham story in the world, uh, obviously China. It's the toll booth to the Chinese middle class, five to 600 million people. They have a wonderful platform on which they're building it on. And I think you, if you own Alibaba, if you miss it this quarter, then who cares? You're getting it next quarter or the next quarter. It's lagged Amazon. I don't know why it's lagged Amazon so much over the past six months. I get there's been some concerns about a possible uh, trade war or people looked at margins, but Jack Ma is a superstar. The investments that he's making with the company and, uh, and the ecosystem he's built for China, th there's nothing more you can say. Now, right. if the whole NASDAQ goes down, this will probably go down with it. But if you, if you didn't buy Facebook at 150, 155, and you're looking right. at it now in 170s, and you're looking at Amazon, and I admit, I sold my Amazon way too early. I thought this about Amazon and 1100. I, I thought I killed it and I sold it. I'm not making that mistake with Alibaba. All right, Andrew, great to speak with you. Thank you. Nice to see you. Andrew Left of Citron I agree Research. with him on Baba. Yeah. For whatever that's worth. But on Square, that's a totally different story. Pete, what do you make of the conversation? Tougher. Um, and, and pretty tougher in terms of being on his side? No, I'm on his side on the Baba side. On the Square, right, I think I have side. a little bit more of a difficulty really fully following along with Andrew on that one. I tend to be leaning towards what you're talking about. But I think Baba's the interesting one here, and I agree with him. I, this is a company with the ecosystem they've got. Absolutely, I see much more upside. All right. Uh, still ahead, Tesla volatile in the after-hour session. The always colorful Elon Musk was speaking on the company conference call right now. And apparently tonight, he's very colorful. We're bringing the comments straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla CEO Elon Musk speaking to investors on the call. Let's get back to Phil for the details. Phil. Melissa, questions just beginning, and one of them centered around where they are in terms of their production rate right now. And Elon Musk talking about the Gigafactory and battery pack production increasing. Here's what he had to say about where they are right now in their production at the Gigafactory. The thing I'm most excited about is the, uh, the rapid increase in output. Um, We've got uh, just in the last uh, 24 hours at the Gigafactory, we managed to achieve a sustained rate of over 3,000 packs uh, per day, uh, sorry, per week, um, and uh, actually reached a peak hour uh, with, if, if extrapolated outward, would be a rate of over 5,000 cars per week. 
Elon Musk once again reiterating that he expects the company to be gap profitable in the second half of this year. Melissa, we're going to jump back onto the call. If there are more comments, obviously we're going to have them tomorrow morning on Squawk Box. Back to you. And I will see you then, Phil. Thank you, Phil Abo, uh, in Chicago. Uh, the stock is down by nine tenths of one percent. <laughs> this has got to be the most. Yes. How can the market have anticipated this exactly? Market reaction to Tesla earnings that we've seen in a very long time, Guy. Still think you got to play in Elon Musk's camp. I think you'll own the stock against 280. Pete will tell you to be with it in options. That's probably the right play. But, you know, he's proven all naysayers wrong. But for that brief period down to 245, I think the stock's a buy. Pete, what do you think? I, I would agree. And, I, and if you're going to be long it, why not have protection to the downside in something like this? Because at some point, everybody always says there will come a point when Tesla gets the big hit. Well, in that case, you'd want to have protection for sure. Yeah, I just say it's also getting to a point where they're giving us monthly, you know, uh, deliveries, that sort of thing. And so, you know, you had a quarter where Elon Musk seemed like he was on Twitter every day, maybe more than Kanye. Um, and, you know, so there was a lot of information in the stock. And I think when you see a stock where the implied movement was almost 8% or something like that, right. not doing anything right now, it seems like there's a pretty good push and pull right here. And the story's kind of hit equilibrium until something changes one way. Feels like this conference call, though, could be swing in terms mm. of the Tesla trade, right? Um, Tesla's down, down about a percent. Up next, final trades. Final trade time, Pete. Healthcare's had a tough time, but AbbVie, giddy up, it's going higher. Carewoman. I bought it today. It's a risk garb kind of thing. Xerox, Carl Icahn's taken over. Wow. Dan. Uh, yeah, no one likes it, Snap. It was my call last night. I bought it 11.20 today. Key. Feisty fireman tonight. Feisty. Chairwoman yeah, in full points. form. Chairwoman full form. Full form. Spotify self's overdone, in my in my humble opinion, Melissa Lee. So you agree with Dan? You don't Always like that narrative. <laughs> I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks so much for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.